Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Clowder from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Welcome you to worship anytime on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 10.30, and thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. A reading from Acts. Now those who were scattered went from place to place, proclaiming the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds, with one accord, listened eagerly to what was said by Philip, hearing and seeing the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud shrieks, came out of many who were possessed, and many others who were paralyzed or lame were cured. So there was great joy in that city. Now a certain man named Simon had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he was someone great. All of them, from the least to the greatest, listened to him eagerly, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they listened eagerly to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, who was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. After being baptized, he stayed constantly with Philip, and was amazed when he saw the signs and great miracles that took place. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet the Spirit had not come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours." And pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the chains of wickedness. Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may happen to me. Now after Peter and John had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, proclaiming the good news to many villages of the Samaritans. The word of the Lord. A Gospel reading from the third chapter of Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. Grace and peace to you, my friends in faith. Have you ever heard someone start a sentence with, you know, I don't go to church anymore because dot, 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 and it might be something like, someone in the church hurt me, or I had a bad experience. There's a lot of traumatic stories that I've heard. It's a familiar refrain that I've heard occasionally. Often these stories accompany feelings that leave me sad, sometimes even angry, at the unchristian behaviors that are exhibited by fellow disciples, believing that they were acting justly. 
Sometimes those stories involve shame or guilt, one-upmanship. More often than not, people will still tell me that they believe in God, but they just don't trust institutions. It's a reminder to me that the church isn't perfect, but indeed, this is a place full of sinners. Power or control or ego, any of these characteristics could lead to someone oppressing another, causing hurt, potentially doing it without knowing it. It's clearly not a new phenomenon either. It's something that actually happened in the story that Daniel read in the book of Acts. But there's always a backstory, isn't there? How did we get to this point? How did we get to this exchange between Simon the magician and Peter? Yeah, Simon, Simon Peter and Simon the magician, two different people. So when you're hearing Simon, don't think that this is Simon Peter, okay? So Simon the magician has this confrontation with Peter. Yes, that Peter, the one that we think of with the keys to the pearly gates, The Peter who messes up all the time, yet Jesus turns to him to lead his sheep after he returns from the dead. Well, let's think about what we were talking about at the beginning of September. The very beginning of September, we focused on a parable here at church. Jesus was being put to the test by a lawyer who wanted to be justified by the law. And so Jesus was talking to this lawyer and his disciples were in the room with him. And he starts telling them a story, a parable, right? This isn't real. So he makes up the characters to illustrate his point. It's a point about how to be a neighbor, how to show mercy. The parable goes something like this. There's this man who's beaten up and left for dead in the ditch. You know how it goes, right? Who walks by? Well, first a priest and then a Levite who would have been the assistant to the priest. Both of them see what has happened to this man and they actually cross to the other side so as to avoid walking by him. Then Jesus lays the biggest whopper of them all on us. Somebody will help out this stranger who's left for dead. Who is it going to be? A Samaritan, right? Why is this such a shocking punchline to the story? And why are the disciples so upset? Well, the chapter before, the chapter right before this in Luke 9, James and John have suggested that there should be some, an outcome that they, they think belongs, that they think should happen uh, to make this story go, go further. You see, this is something that really happens, is that the disciples are going with Jesus, and they come across a Samaritan village. And it just so happens that this Samaritan village has rejected Jesus. So James and John have a suggestion to Jesus. They said, Jesus, we have an idea. How about this? Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them, the Samaritans? Now, I know what you're thinking. Wow, that seems a bit extreme. But this is not without precedent. To the disciples, this is what you would call the Elijah plan. This is a request that is not completely out of the blue. It's happened before. I think the disciples are like, let's get our popcorn. Let's see if it happens again. Jesus essentially says, knock it off. We're not doing that. But Jesus is now telling the parable, and he remembers the wrath of his disciples just a few moments ago, 
the wrath that his disciples felt for this place, Samaria. And so in a very dramatic turn in his story, the one who is the hero and who responds with mercy to the man left for dead in the ditch is from Samaria. Talk about unsettling, right? We don't like it when our enemies are heroes. These disciples are human, though. They've got a long memory, and just because they learn about things like grace and mercy, it doesn't mean that it always sticks. So let's fast forward to the story from Acts 8. You see, this is one of those stories that really captures my attention because the book of Acts just so happens to be written by the same person who wrote the book of Luke, who wrote that parable about the good Samaritan. So one of the stories that Luke, when he writes the book of Acts, that he captures is what we just heard. And it just so happens to involve one of the deacons, Philip the deacon, right? Philip the deacon is spreading the good news. He's he's around and creating new disciples by telling them about Jesus and people believe. But Philip is baptizing with water. And even this magician, Simon comes to believe. He actually becomes so just enthralled with the story that he cannot get enough of Philip. He is shadowing Philip all the time. Did you, by any chance, catch where this event took place in Acts 8? Have I not given you enough hints? It's Samaria. (laughs) That village that not long ago had rejected Jesus. And by not that long ago, I mean like literally within a year or two. Chronologically speaking, Luke, in telling this parable, and Acts 8, in actually living out what happens post-resurrection and post-ascension, this would have been within one to two years of that event. Do you think it's possible that you might still hold some resentment for something that happened to you a year or two ago by somebody? You should all be nodding. (laughs) Do you think it's possible that James and John, who then probably told their buddy Peter, hey, we still have some doubts and resentment toward the Samaritans. Do you think that they're skeptical about the good news that Philip has shared with them? Philip comes and says, hey, I've converted this place. They rejected Jesus before, but now they believe. I think they were skeptical. You see, baptism is a huge part of belonging. And it's this beautiful act of committing to the mission of Jesus. It's an act that demonstrates joining with the body of Christ. So after all of these people from Samaria have been baptized in water, Philip sends word to the disciples back in Jerusalem and says, Hey, please, come. We need the people to receive the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John now show up in town. And they pray over the community, and in a beautiful moment, the people of Samaria receive the Holy Spirit. Which brings us to Simon. Simon the magician. I mean, he's in awe of what he has just witnessed. Can you imagine what's going on in Simon's brain? Like, this is more amazing than any magic trick I've ever done. But Simon's also a new believer. 
Simon doesn't fully grasp everything that he's learned, so he, he doesn't quite know what is going on, but he is so excited by it. And let's also name the fact that he's familiar with the economy that he operates in. Simon does magic tricks that amazes the people of Samaria, and he gets rewarded for it. He gets treated like a god. He's held with greatness. He's probably even paid handsomely for, for performing magic tricks within his community. He's used to getting compensated for his job. And so when Simon witnesses the Holy Spirit, innocently or naively, he asks Peter, how much would it cost me to be able to do that too? Name your price, Peter. I've got the money. I want to be able to do that too. And this is the part of the story where I would just love to say, time out, Peter. Let's take a minute, pull you aside, let you regroup for a second, and remind you about some of the things that you have done when you've opened your mouth. Now, first of all, Peter, is Simon the magician wrong? Yes. Of course he is. One of the old guys wisely said, the Holy Spirit can be given, but it can't be bought. Simon, you cannot buy the Holy Spirit. But does Simon have to get ripped to shreds by Peter? Does Simon have to get told by Peter, you, Simon, have no part or share in God's gift for your heart is not right before God? Hit him with a sledgehammer, why don't you? Pardon me for saying it, but Peter comes off really poorly in this exchange. For someone who's supposed to be a great leader of the church, someone who will encourage and guide many followers to the good news, I don't see a lot of good news in how he treats Simon. Feels like a power-hungry gatekeeper who completely forgot what Jesus did to him once or twice or five times upon a time. I mean, Peter, remember how, how you saw Jesus transfigured before you on the mountain? And you saw Jesus with Moses and Elijah. And and Peter, can you tell us what did you do when you saw the transfiguration? Were you awestruck and humbled by that experience? Well, I don't know if you remember this, but Peter, when he saw this happen, suggests that they build some booths, some monuments, something to memorialize this experience, perhaps to capitalize on it. So many times when we hear about Peter, he makes a brilliant insight one minute and then completely acts selfishly the next. And this exchange with Simon, the magician, is one of those moments. I just want to say, Peter, this magician isn't trying to buy himself a brand new magic trick. He's not David Copperfield trying to add to his arsenal. Agreed. He is an excited and curious, newly baptized believer. And so from this text, Simon is appearing to ask to buy this power because he wants to share it, not to manipulate it for his own gain. And so after Peter finishes ripping him apart, how does, how does Simon respond? Simon says, pray for me that this doesn't happen. Simon repents. At least he does in words. So what happens next? Does does it happen? I don't know. We we don't know. Simon's legacy is unverified. We don't know what happens. 
But I can tell you what, a lot of stories emerge that help build a negative narrative about him conveniently. Is it possible that the way that he leaves this scenario with Peter is one that's going to force him to leave the church? This exchange he has with Peter, one of the most respected leaders, has essentially disregarded his conversion and judged him for who he was, not who he was longing to become. Could that ever happen in the church? Maybe that rings true for us. Have, have we ever felt that way? I know I have. I felt that way at times in seminary. I felt that way on mission trips. I felt that way even in serving as a chaplain in the army. I, I don't like being judged by others who disregard my belief because I don't believe the same way that they do. It's not a good feeling, is it? But fortunately for me and you, in my case, it wasn't the last word on, on my faith. I have confidence in the Holy Spirit. I have trust in God that God loves me and calls me to be part of a church that welcomes all, a church that loves our neighbors as ourselves, even those magicians that might not look and talk like someone who belonged to the church their whole lives. Being the church is messy. And often we, the church, make it even messier with our approach like Peter but there can be another way. And that way is to nurture and support one another, to encourage and walk with each other, and especially new believers. Do we speak the truth? Yes. Yes, we do. But we speak the truth with love, not with condemnation like Peter. We put aside our own biases and our own judgments. Because the good news is we're not in control. The Holy Spirit is. Life is fragile. Handle with grace. Amen. Well, that's it for this week's sermon. Thank you for joining us. Look for more information on faithfl.org or certainly reach out to the office if you would like to receive weekly email updates. Thank you.